so far in Romans, we've talked pretty much about lot. You know, about first we talked about salvation and how we are sinners and condemned by God, and we talked about the the cross and how we're saved and Paul is bringing all this out to us and then chapter 6, 7, and 8 we basically talked about how all this um, you know how it all plays out in your life you know we don't continue in sin you know because we're under grace and then 7 chapter 7 was uh, more or less about the war against sin although we're not dominated by sin anymore we still do battle with it every day and then chapter 8 we took a whole lot of time to make sure you understand your assurance in Christ that your salvation is uh, it's a done deal even though we're going to go through suffering in this world and we're, we're in the same fallen place that everybody else is and tornadoes and sickness and disease and all that's going to happen to us as well but we have assurance that um, that Christ is, that we're saved in Him, even though all that's gone. Chapter 9, chew my men up because I can't talk about my men. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 are going to turn a corner and He's going to stop for a minute and talk about the nation of Israel and the promises made to them and how that applies to us and how Jesus fits into all this. And then chapter 12, he's going to resume. Like, so you all know, most of y'all have heard the beginning of chapter 12 where it says, uh, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That, you could tack that right on to the end of chapter 8. And it would flow perfectly. So it's not chapter 9 through 11. It's kind of like a parenthesis. He's taking a side road. And he's going to tell us about how the Old Testament fits in with all the stuff that we've been talking about in the New Testament. So we'll see it as it, that may be a little confusing to you, but we'll see it as, we, as it plays out. Let me go ahead and say, before we get started, chapter 9 is a hard chapter and people have been fighting over it since the mid-fourth century. So, there's going to be some things in here that, you know, it's it's just a mystery how they play out. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll show you how that works once we get there. Okay? Everybody understand? Anybody? Any questions? Y'all read it? If you did read it, do you have any questions before we start? Or you just roll or what? Nobody has no questions? Okay. So, the last thing Paul's told us is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from our salvation. Did you have a question? Yeah, there's another other thing I was thinking about asking someone. I was presented this week with somebody who's rather important about Calvary. And then okay. you said this, and it goes right in with what you say. Well, Romans 9 is a battleground for all that kind of stuff. Now, if I won't be getting into much of that because they've been fighting over that stuff for years. But I can tell you, and we're, we'll see it in the text, God is absolutely sovereign. He's in control of all things. When I say all things, I mean all things. But at the same time, I have a choice. I have a choice, a will. I have the ability to say yes, God, or no, God. You know, so it's not like I'm not a robot. Ain't nobody got a gun to my head. That's I got our problem. Right, that's where everybody's problem is, and they've been fighting over for hundreds of years. So, my the way that I read scripture, the way that I understand it, is that both are true, and I, uh, 
the, the president of Southern Seminary said this, and I agree with him. He said, if anybody ever comes up to you and says, how can this be true, God be in control, and me have a will, how can both of those be true? And they say, I've got it figured out. Let me wrap it up in a, ba- in a little present for you with a bow. And send it. He says, if anybody ever says that to you, they should be resisted because they're both true. And I don't think it is. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how. The best thing I can say is look at it like this. And this is not what we want to talk about. But the best thing you can say is this. Think about it like this. Salvation is a door. This is a door right here. Salvation is a door. And it's the door of salvation. Right? Okay. On the front of that door, here you are. You walk up to the door. It said, whosoever will, let him come. Eat of the tree of life. You know all that. I have a choice as I stand on this side of the door whether I want to open the door or not. I can choose to open the door. You know, I mean believe in Jesus. Or I can choose not to open the door. Not believe in Jesus. So I I have the opportunity. It's a real opportunity. And here I am. I'm making my own decision. So I open the door. I believe in Jesus. And I go through the door of salvation. When I close the door, I look at the door. And on the back of the door, it said, I chose you before the foundation of the world. See what I mean? So, I believe both are true. I'm not... Neither one of them is going to want me in their camp. Let's put it that way. Okay? Alright, so... Let's start at Romans 9, verse 1. We're going to say... I say... It says... Paul said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continued sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were cursed from my, from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Um, first of all, before we even go any further, can you imagine what? Think about what he's saying. That he said, "I would change places with them because I love them so much and I'm so sorrowful. I would be a curse from Christ if I could." So that they would come. He's his talking about national Israel, his, the Jews. He says, because to whom pertaineth the adoption, they were adopted as sons. And the glory, all this is going on in the Old Testament. You remember they were, it's, it's when God told Pharaoh to release Israel, he said, you release my son. He called Israel his son. He says, to them be the glory and the covenants. God made all those promises with them. And the giving of the law, he gave the law through them. And the service of God was talking about the temple service and the promises, all the promises that are Israel's. Some of y'all, if you haven't been steeped in Old Testament, if you kind of don't know what's going on, let me just give you a quick background so you can kind of follow with with what he's saying here. Um, In the Old Testament, of course, Adam and Eve... You know, first ones, they fell in the garden, right? And so God all of a sudden, God all of a sudden pronounces judgment all over the creation, all over Adam and Eve. Uh, they're going to work by the sweat of their brow. They're going to die. They're going to do all those things. But God gave them a promise right there in Genesis 3. In the very beginning, he says, I will bring forth a seed, basically, that he will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. And it's talking about Christ being the Savior of the world. And so, Adam and Eve, their line goes on and on and on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, the world gets really bad. It gets horrible. And so, all of a sudden, God says, okay, now I'm going to flood the place and I'm just going to start over because it's just, it's all screwed up. So, who do he save in the flood? 
Noah, right? Okay, so Noah and his family start over. Okay, well, not too long after that, it it came it came to be realized that Noah's not really the seed either. He's he's screwing things up too, left and right. So God chose a man. And he said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to fulfill my promise through you. Who was that man? It was Abraham. That's right. He says, out of all the people on earth, I'm going to choose this one man. I'm going to make a nation out of him, make a people out of him. Well, Abraham didn't do so well either. He started lying. He lied about his sister and he didn't trust God. And he, you know, he, he, he just didn't. I could go through the whole story. So God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a nation from you. And so Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. God said, I'm going to take Isaac and I'm going to make a nation. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And God said, I'm going to take Jacob and make a nation. And then from them, you got all the people of Israel. God took that whole people and said, I'm going to fulfill my promise through them. Well, what happened to Israel? Over and over and over again, they screwed it up. They wouldn't believe. They wouldn't trust. They'd go to false idols. They would go. So God brought his, and this is all, this is all part of God's plan. It's not like God is like, whoops, what am I going to do now? You know, but God took that nation and he brought Jesus Christ from that nation that would bless the world by including all those who trusted him. Okay. So what he's talking about here, when he says they have the promises and they have the worship is when in the old Testament. God chose, he chose Israel to be his people. He didn't choose the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Philistines. and the, you know, He didn't choose none of them. He chose the Israel. And he made it clear to Israel, not because you're the biggest or the best or the most faithful or whatever, just because I said so. You know, And so that's what he's talking about here. He says, I wish that they would come to Christ. I wish that my brothers, my kindred, my countrymen, they would come to Christ because God has blessed them so much. In in the in the Old Testament, he he wasn't talking about the Old Testament, but we are. And through the history of Israel, God has blessed them so much, and now God has provided the fulfillment of the promise that He gave them all those years ago, and now they won't trust Him. You know, He says. So here's the thing that He's saying. If all those things in chapter 8 are true, okay? If you can't lose your salvation, God's promised you in Christ that you will be saved and nothing can take it away. All those things that we talked about last week in chapter 8. If all that stuff is true, and it is, what about the Jews? Because God promised them stuff too. And now, if it's given away to another people, didn't God kind of renege on His promise to them? And if God reneged on His promise to them, how can we trust Him to keep His promise to us in Jesus Christ? That's kind of what He's answering here. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay. All right. Well, any questions? None? I don't know. Okay. What I'm saying is, let's put it this way. Throughout the history of the Bible, Genesis to Malachi, God had a specific people that were His people. And they were called Israel. Okay? And He made them all kinds of promises. You're going to be my people forever. I will bless you and I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll give you this land. I'll, you know, He made them promise after promise after promise after promise. Now, if God's plan has come down to one man, Jesus Christ, 
God's plan of salvation, of blessing, of favor has come down to one man, Jesus Christ. And we look around and all the Jews have not believed in Jesus Christ. What does that mean about God's promise? How could God's promise fail? Does that make more sense? Y'all with me? Man, I'm looking at you and you're like, no, I ain't with you. A different set of people become Israel. Yeah, we're going to get to that. I'm trying to define the panay of rag or nothing. Right on the board. Yeah, that'd be good because I'm I'm kind of floundering right here. People are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I don't remember the one that he reneged on because he gave him the promised land. He just made him wonder for forty years or whatever. So right, no, no, no. What, he fulfilled his promises. Right, he fulfilled his promises. Paul is going to argue that he did fulfill his promise through Jesus Christ. And that's what our point is. Through Jesus Christ, the promises are fulfilled. But what he's doing is answering the question, you know, did God fail to save his people when he are letting all these Gentiles in? Y'all know what the difference between a Jew and a Gentile is? Like anybody Jewish in here? Okay, then you're all Gentiles. That's it. It's just Jew, Gentile, right? And the Jews had... The Gentiles were unclean people. They were, you know, like you and I would be unclean people. God wouldn't accept our worship or anything unless we became Jewish. You know, we got circumcised and we kept all the feasts and we did all that kind of stuff. And so now, Paul is saying, hey, God is accepting all these people. And he's accepting them through his son who died on the cross. And now, all these folks are God's people. And the Jews are going, hey, wait a minute. That, how can that be? Because God said we were his people. So, how could God, God change who his people is? How could God say we were his people for all those years? And then now, all of a sudden, anybody can come and be his people. Right, they felt like they had a special status. And that was Jesus and the apostles' whole problem with them. You remember when the Pharisees came to John the Baptist? And John the, John the Baptist said, hey, y'all don't say because I'm a child of Abraham, I have some special status. He said, God can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. And then uh, little Zacchaeus, you know, who got the tree and... When he believed in Jesus and he said, I'm going to give all, I'm going to give half my money to the poor. Jesus said about Zacchaeus, who was already a Jew, he said, today he has become a son of Abraham. See what I mean? So what he's going to do is the question before us is who is God's people? Who is God's people? Now, right now you can turn on the news and you've got bombs going off and rockets and Israel and Gaza and Palestine and all that's going on. And so right now, you've got people that are saying stand with Israel and, and, and all that. But what we're going to talk about is what Paul and the apostles believed about that. And I've already told you, it's a huge argument over everything in this chapter. So you're in my Sunday school class, so you're going to get my view. 
If you don't agree with me, it doesn't mean you're lost or anything like that, but you'll have to prove it from the text because that's what we're going to be looking at. Okay? So he says, what happened to these folks? Verse 6 says, it's not, and I didn't write it on the board because I can't write the whole chapter up here. It says, not, it's not as though the Word of God has taken an effect or has failed. And here's the reason why. It says, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. See what I mean? He said, just because, and let me read the next part. It says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham. It's talking about the natural descendants of Abraham. Are they all children? Talking about God's children. But in Isaac, the seed shall be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. That's natural descendancy. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Okay? Alright, so what he's saying is, for those of y'all that don't have a Bible, I know that whole deal was confusing. But what he's saying was that just because someone is descended from Abraham physically does not mean that they are the Israel of God. Okay? And he proves his case by saying, by saying, well, look at, look at, look at, uh, Isaac first. He said, Isaac, y'all know the story. We probably ought to go through some Old Testament stuff. You know, give y'all some background. Abraham had, Abraham had no sons. And he wasn't going to have no sons. But God made him a promise. He said, I will give you many sons and there'll be as many as the stars of the sky. And Abraham said, I'm an old dude and I ain't, I ain't got no kids. And God said, well, you're going to have kids. Well, Sarah, his wife, who was barren, she said, let's kind of hurry up the process. And she gave Abraham her, her maid, Hagar, her maidservant. And Abraham, Abraham, you know, he did the deal. And they had a kid and it was Ishmael, right? No, the Arabs, not the Muslims. There was no Muslims till about 700 or 622. Arabs, not Arabs. So he had Ishmael. And so Ishmael's gonna be Ishmael is the son of Abraham. But God said, no. He's not a Sarah. He's not gonna be, well, that's the argument. He he's not gonna be the line of promise that I'm gonna bring the blessing through. I'm gonna bring it through Isaac. And he said, a year from now, this is what God told Abraham, Genesis 18. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to come back in a year, and Sarah's gonna have a son. And Isaac. So God said, look, I mean, Paul's saying right here, he said, I'm telling you that not all people from Israel are of Israel. Not all the people who are Jews are God's people. Because, he said, Abraham had two sons, and God only chose one of them to be the line of promise. Okay? The line of promise is the line through which Jesus Christ came from. Okay? Y'all with me? Yes. So he had two sons, and he said, one of them is not Israel. And so that proved the case. And a lot of them would say what Dana said. Well, that really don't count because Abraham, you know, he, he kind of hooked up with the maid servant and had a baby. You know, so that really... Yeah, that wasn't the point. The point was is that they took matters into their own hand to get a son. God didn't give that son. They produced that son out of another line. Okay. So God 
fulfilling his promise. That, but see, you see how the Jews could make that argument. Say that argument doesn't count because that was Abraham's deal. He he did what he shouldn't have done, and it produced another son. That's not the son God gave him, right? And that's right. It's absolutely right. So Paul gives another example. I know y'all not following me. And I'm sorry. It says, it says. Verse 10, he says, not only this, but when Rebecca also, I'm, this Paul is assuming that we have all this Old Testament background knowledge. And if you don't, I, I'll try to break it down as best I can, but we'll just have to go through it and just see where we land. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca had a kid, had twins, for the children not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It, said, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Okay, so he says, okay, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You're saying to me that the reason why God chose Isaac was because Ishmael was all, you know, they got all messed up in the, in the handmaiden thing and he was trying to do something else. He said, well, here's another example where Rebecca and Isaac had twins. They're born at the same time, same mama, same daddy. They had done nothing good or bad, but God chose not to do it man's way. Man's way would have been the firstborn son would take the line and it would be, he said, God chose that the younger one would be the one through whom the line of promise would be named. And so it would be, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Esau, it would be Jacob. So here's another instance where somebody is born into the nation of Israel who is not really an Israelite. Esau was not an Israelite. Okay? And no Jewish person would argue with that. Okay? Y'all with me? Y'all are all thinking like, what does this have to do with me? We'll get there. I promise. Just hang with me. He keeps the glory of God instead of... Nobody, you can't put man into it. Right. God is controlling all of it. Right. And it says, and as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Anybody have a problem with that? I do. Yes. <laughs> is it not? Is it? Did you read my thing? Is it yes. the same problem I have? Yes. Okay. Well, don't say it yet, because other people might not. <laughs> a lot of people have a problem with God hating Esau. Yeah. And. Paul has brought us to this point from Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, you know. And it really, you know, God is not supposed to be like that. God is supposed to be granddaddy in the sky. He's supposed to be, you know, loving. He's supposed to be caring. He's supposed to be like my, my awesome uncle, you know, who just wants to hang out and have fun. And, you know, he wants to be like that. So if you got your Bibles, one person, look up. Look for me. Look up Psalm five five and read it to us. Psalm five five. Read it loud. We hear it. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Okay, God hateth what? All workers of iniquity. Everybody who works iniquity. Who is who? Who works iniquity? Me. Everybody. Okay, what about Psalm 11.5? Somebody else read Psalm 11.5. Or if you get there, Jennifer, you read 11.5? Yeah. The Lord tried the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hated. His soul hated the wicked. 
God hates the wicked. You know, through the Old Testament, God hates sinners. Remember we said in Romans 3, and, and even in the beginning of 8, that the, the person who is in the flesh is an enemy of God. You remember we said that? Remember Romans told us that? Okay, so God's soul hates the wicked. Who is the wicked? Everybody. Everybody. So the question is really not how could God hate Esau. The question is how could God love Jacob? Because if you know, if you read the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, I mean, he wasn't no good man at all. Matter of fact, he was he was really bad until God changed him. I mean, he, he was deceitful. He was lying, conniving. I mean, he was just the biggest sinner as anybody else. So God, the fact that God hates evil and wicked is not that big a mystery. I mean, it's pretty, if God is just, he's going to hate evil. But the fact that God loves at all is amazing. I mean, can you imagine that he would love us enough to send his son to die for us when we were yet sinners? I mean, when we were cursing him and spitting in his face and, you know, maybe you weren't doing that physically, but by your actions, by your lifestyle, by your thought patterns, you were God's enemy. And you, by everything you did, you spit in his face, you told him, you're not my God, you're not my Lord, I don't have to do what you say, I'll do what I want to do. And God still loved you, loved the world enough to send his only son to die on a cross to pay for those things. Uh, I tell my youth sometimes, I probably told you all this before too, but I wouldn't let my son catch a cold for you. <laughs> probably, you know what I mean? So to send your son to die for a people that hated you and spit on you, and I mean, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing love. Okay, so it says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? That's not fair. And it says, for he says to Moses, here's where we're going to get, uh, we're going to get, huh? 15. Oh, 15. Yeah, I'm sorry. 14, 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that will, willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. Okay. So what he's saying is, look, this is my universe. And if you don't like it, move out and start your own. Uh, he's quoting an Old Testament passage there. It's Exodus. It's Exodus. Uh, what are y'all doing? Oh. It's Exodus. Uh, see, now you done made me forget what passage it was. Y'all going newlywed, go on the back row. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay, I'm just, you weren't doing anything. Thank you, Michelle. Um, it's in Exodus. You know the story where Moses... Okay. God has brought Israel out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. God, Moses goes up to get the tablets. You know, y'all, Charlton Heston. Look, my people go. Y'all know the movie, right? All right, so he goes up and he gets the tablets and God tells him, look... You're up here doing this deal, and before you even get to the foot of the mountain, your people are, I mean, Israel's already worshiping a golden calf. I mean, they've already screwed the whole thing up. And so God says, you know what? I'm not even going to go with y'all. I'm just going to let y'all go by yourself. I'll send an angel to go with you. That's what God said, Exodus. 
And Moses says, no, please, you've got to come with us. You've got to, you're, they're going to they're gonna make fun of us saying our God has brought us out here just to be killed and died. And, and Moses is interceding for his people. And God relents and says, okay, I will go with you um, just because I'm merciful and I'm God. And, Mo, and Moses says, well, show me your glory. Show me your face. And that's where God put Moses in the cleft of the rock. I hope some of y'all have heard this story before. And he said, I can't show you my face because you'll die, but I'll pass by you and I'll show you my back. And you'll see my glory. And so, and he did that, but he said, this is Exodus 19. 19. And he said, in that moment, he said, and I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. He was, what he was telling Moses was, look, I'm not going to do this because these people are Israel. And I'm not going to do this because you're Moses. He's like, I'm going to do it because I'm God. And I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll give them mercy. See, at this moment, Israel is down there worse than a golden cat. They're no different than all the other peoples of the earth right now. They're no different. They're doing the exact same thing that everybody else is doing that God is punishing them for. God is bringing judgment down on them for. God is punishing all these people for what they're doing. And Israel's down here doing the same thing. And God says, Moses is going, these are your people. And God says, nah, I'm God and I'll have mercy on who I have mercy and I have compassion on who I have compassion. And Paul is using this as an argument to say, look, look, Israel, look, Jewish man. If God has chosen to include the Gentiles into his people by means of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, you really can't say nothing about it because God said, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. And so if you're arguing that, well, these people can't be people of God because they're not, they're not Jewish, they're not Israel, they're not, it says, God said, I'll have mercy on who I have mercy. If God chose to include the world in Christ, that's his business and it ain't one of yours. That's kind of what he said. Y'all with me? Okay, good. That's why I've been dr- Okay. <laughs> For the scripture saith, and then here's another example unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. That's kind of scary, ain't it? Questions? Hey, explain that. Uh, See, that's, that's one of the ones people fight over all that. Okay. God uses another example. He talked about he talked about Abraham and his children. Talked about Isaac, his children. Talked about Moses. Now he uses Pharaoh as an example. This is a person that God used for His glory that wasn't one of God's people. And so He said, "I raised you up." Who did He raise up? Pharaoh. And why did He raise him up? Was it say? So that show the power. Show my power and that my, my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So what he's what he's saying there is that it's God's prerogative. It's God's prerogative to include anybody that he wants to. Now, the one thing you can't say is that God had a gun to Pharaoh's back or something like that and 
Pharaoh didn't have a chance, and you can't say that because Pharaoh did exactly what he wanted to do. It's not like God was pushing Pharaoh against his will. Pharaoh, the, the scripture in that passage in Exodus, 20 times it said Pharaoh's heart was hardened. 10 times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and 10 times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That's so, what I was getting at. In this passage, it seems like it's saying God hardened. Well, hardened your heart. Well, and it really goes with what we've been talking about the whole time in Romans. You remember in Romans 1 where it said they desired, they exchanged God for a lie. And so what did God do? He just, he just let, them, let them have exactly what they wanted. Right. You know? The, the point is, think about it this way. Me and Diana are sitting in service. This is just a practical example. Okay? The gospel's going forward. Not, not me and Diana, the married couple, just two people, right? Sitting in, in service. Okay? The gospel's going forward. Okay, the gospel's being presented. One of us, one of us, the Holy Spirit comes and man, it's just convicting. It's like it's turning your heart inside out. It's making you sick to your stomach. That you're just uh and the other one's playing video games. Right? As we walk out of the building, as we walk out of the building, um, her heart will be hardened because she's heard it. She's heard the message and rejected it. See what I mean? So, like, it's like what we were preaching about the other Sunday. Like, you guys are so fortunate and blessed, but there's also uh, there's also something that's kind of not good about being where you are here in Christ Church. Because the pastor here preaches really hard. And he preaches truth unashamedly. He doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to worry about the, you know, the, the biggest tithers leaving or the deacons telling him he's fired or anything like that. He doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. So he preaches truth and he preaches hard, gets red face screaming all that stuff. So it's really great because a lot of y'all have been saved here and God has convicted your hearts and all that, you know. But then again, it's really scary because if you don't respond here, I don't know where else you could go that you would get it like you get it here. See what I mean? So when you leave here, and I've had this problem with youth, when they, you know, you go off to camp or somewhere, you go off to whatever, uh, you'll see, in like especially in other churches when I went, You'll see floods of youth coming. Just all of a sudden, like, the worst youth in the church are like, oh, you know, and they're coming and coming. But ours typically don't do that like that because they hear harder preaching here than they do at the camp. See what I mean? See what I mean? So if you can hear the gospel, if, if like Pharaoh, you can hear the good news, you can hear of, of God and faith in Him and trust in Him, and you can see the plagues. I mean, you can see frogs filling up the city. You can see the rivers turn to blood. You can see the great wonders of God and God moving. I mean, it was just incontrovertible. And you can reject that, then your heart will be hardened to anything else. That will come your way. Does that make sense? So if I'm coming and I'm saying, you know, I'm giving it to your red face and just, and you reject that, if you go down to the first Frigidaire church, three miles down the road, you know, whatever, your heart has already been hardened because you've got it as hard as you can get it. And now you're getting less. You see what I mean? And your heart has gotten to a point where 
You know, so our youth will, because they hear Brother Eddie preach the way he does, when they go off to these conferences, these, these high-powered, high-priced uh, youth speakers, they don't, re- they don't really, don't really rock the boat too much with our kids, you know, because we're we're used to, you know, we're used to the high energy deal, and so you see what I'm saying? When when you see when Pharaoh saw, I mean, how many miracles do you have to see? How many plagues? Have to come. How many firstborn kids? When you see all of this that God has done, and you reject that, that is a judicial hardening. It's it's God removing Himself, saying, "Take what you want. If that's what you want. That's what you want." You know, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good. He, he just didn't convict him. He just, yeah. The one thing. The one thing. Let me answer your question you asked at the beginning. The one thing. There's two creatures on this planet that do not exist. And though people talk about them all the time, they do not exist. One is somebody who goes to hell but was desiring to go to heaven. One is somebody who goes to hell and desiring God. I want you. I need you. And God going, nope. Never mind. You know, that person that's, does not exist. And the other person is somebody who ends up in heaven going, how'd I get here? I was the worst one, whatever. So, people aren't saved or damned against their will. People are not, you know, they have the choice to trust in Christ or not to trust in Christ. And, you know, God is the one who changes the will. So, you know, you, you cannot say that Pharaoh didn't have a chance, that, you know, God just put a gun to his head and poor old Pharaoh. You know what I mean? He was not neutral. He was evil, just like we all are. Okay? And this is what Paul's going to say. Look, verse 19, he's going to say, You will say to me, Why does is God, why does God yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nail man, who are you to who, reply against God? Says, shall, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me like this? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and one unto dishonor? So what he's saying is, look, you can't say he's a he's 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 anticipating the objection. You're going to read this about Pharaoh, and you're going to say that's not fair. How can he do that? And he said, Paul's answer to that is, Who do you think you are? You know, God is God. This is His universe. and you don't like it, go back. Start your own universe. So that's what he's saying. Also, it means, you know, I take it and I understand that my question is not why does God save some and, and not others? Why didn't He chase some people down like He did Jonah? And My question is why does God save anybody at all? Because we're all just evil. We're all of us just evil. So what if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering? There's the key, ver- key section. With Pharaoh, He endured with much long suffering. The vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy. We're running out of time, so let me skip down. The last verses, 25 through 33, are all Old Testament quotations. And what he's doing is he's proven that God's people have always been meant to include Gentiles, us. 
God's people have always been meant to include us. It says in... Also, He says in Osi, that's Hosea, just in case you didn't know. I will call them my people, which were not my people. When God told this to Hosea, He was talking specifically about Israelites. He wasn't talking about Gentiles. Paul uses the promise here to say, yeah, He was talking about Gentiles. And her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that that place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Uh, Isaiah, Esaias, also cried concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be the sand of sea, a remnant shall be saved. He's saying, look, here's, here's the point of all this. This is, this is Israel. Okay? Give some graphic illustrations. That's the IRS. <laughs> they will be coming for you. Okay. Okay. Israel is not synonymous with Jewish. Okay? Not. Because even in the Old Testament, this is all the people. Let's, let's do it this way. This way will be. These people, this is, these are the Jews, God's chosen race, the ones. Right? Okay. Within the, the Jewish nation, there was a single body that God called the remnant. Right? Israel. Yes. Okay. It says, look, it says, even unless a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as I say, except the Lord of the Sabbath, which is Lord of armies, had left us a seed, we, had been, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have been destroyed. So there was a faithful remnant, right? Okay, out here you got... All these Jewish people that didn't believe in the Old Testament and all these people that were, right? In the Old Testament, you have people who disobeyed got kicked out. And then people who were not Jewish but loved God were brought in. Like Ruth, you know, Ruth was a Moabite, but she was brought into Israel. Rahab was a Canaanite. But she was brought into Israel. And so you had all this. So the whole message Paul is getting at here is that within, within the Jewish nation, there is, God, there is God's chosen race, Israel. Okay? And from here came Jesus Christ, right? And because of what Jesus Christ... And I can't spell. Because of what Jesus did, now all these people... These are the Gentiles. That's us. We are brought into the remnant of God. The people of God. Okay? Make sense? Y'all with me? So, what I need you to see is that you, all those who are in Christ, are the Israel of God. Okay? And whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or woman, whatever, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are part of God's people. You understand? Now, why did God call Jacob Israel? 
Israel means struggles with God. And so, remember the story about Jacob wrestling with God? That's why. Israel means struggling with God. Now, I want to read one thing and then we'll go. I'm already too late. I didn't get to apply this the way I wanted to. So I hope it made sense. But I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with your Old Testament, but it's your history. It's not just a history book of this and that. I want to read to you Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 and following. And I want you to just listen. You can write it down. This is what Paul's talking about when he's talking about the people of God in Israel. It says, I want you, and I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm reading it from the KJV, but I'm going to kind of put it in my own words so it makes a little more sense to you. It says, Wherefore, remember that you, being in times past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called uncircumcision by that, by that which is called the circumcision. You were called unclean by the ones who are Jewish in the flesh. That at that time you were without Christ and you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What were you aliens from? Commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Who received the covenants of promise? Israel. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made close by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who hath made both one. Both what? What has He made one? The Jew and the Gentile. Right. For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the hatred, the enmity, and the law of the commandments contained in ordinance. For, this is why, to make in himself of the two one new man, so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the hatred thereof. So it's saying in Christ, all those people who are in Christ are Israel. Okay? Now right now, all that stuff's going on, and there's going to be people that listen to this, and they're going to say, Jason's an idiot, and he don't know what he's talking about, and that's fine. A lot of smart people disagree with me, but I stand with, I stand with Israel in the conflict that's going on over there because they are a democracy, and because they're for freedoms, and they're not killing, you know, they're not killing people in shopping malls and stuff like that. I stand with them. But I do not stand with them because I have to, because God told me to. I stand with those who stand with Jesus Christ because that's the Israel of God. Okay? You understand? Everybody got me? And you need to know it applies to your life because that book that about all that history about Israel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all that. 